Now, I appreciate what I'm about to say may stretch your imagination to breaking point. But recently, two ladies called me beautiful. <laughs> All right, I was trying to be humble. There's no need to, no need to humiliate me. But to understand what they meant, you need some context. You see, back in the summer, I had a sort of a funny turn. I didn't feel right uh, one afternoon when I'd been for a walk. And I thought, well, I should probably go to the doctor. No harm going to the doctor. So I went along. She checked me over. She thought I was absolutely fine. My heart was fine. But they, she kind of felt she obliged, I think, to pass me on to the consultant at the hospital. So in the end, I went for this, this echocardiogram at the hospital. And these two lovely nurses just kept saying beautiful to my heart. I did say to them, it's a shame it was all given to the inside and not the outside in my case. But they just kept looking at these pictures of my heart as it went beep, beep, beep. And they just had beautiful pictures, beautiful pictures. And uh, that was that done. Likewise, to understand what's going on in the letter to the Hebrews that we're about to read a part of and why these people were tempted to give up on Jesus, we need to understand context. Context is hugely important. You see, the people to whom this letter was written were from a Jewish background. And for centuries, Jews had lived their lives and practiced their faith in a particular way because they believed, rightly, that God had told them to do so. It was non-negotiable. It was inflexible. But you see, they've now chosen to follow Jesus. I mean, following Jesus because he's the Messiah, not only have they been personally transformed, but the way, this is the crucial point, the way they practice their faith has been completely revolutionized. They, they no longer, for example, they no longer felt compelled to obey the Mosaic law. They, they had freedom regarding the Sabbath. They even changed the day on which they worshipped. They started worshipping God as Trinity. It's unheard of in the Jewish faith, of course, and especially in regard to today's passage, they stopped offering animal sacrifices. These believers, now trusting in Jesus, never offered another animal sacrifice. The enormity of that is not striking you, I can tell. But for these Jewish believers, this was absolutely revolutionary, and this was partly why they were facing such a struggle. You see, no longer having to offer sacrifices clearly simplifies some things, but it adds complications too. You see, if you had known all through your life, and for centuries through the generations, if you'd known that forgiveness is obtained by a physical act, taking a sacrifice to the temple, that I'm kind of in control of that, that I can take my sacrifice to a priest who will do what's necessary. There's kind of, I'm kind of in control of that to some extent. I've got some measure of influence over that. Now I've left all that behind and I'm left to simply trust Jesus and what he did. The revolution is absolutely extraordinary. All in all, no wonder that the people to whom this letter is written 
are finding it really tough to follow Jesus. For multiple reasons, this is a big one of them. They're tempted to revert back to Judaism. And I think you can understand why. But to them, the message of this writer, and it's the same message to us, whether we've come out of Judaism or not, we're all tempted at times to go back and trust something other than Jesus. The message is this, in chapter, later in chapter 10, though we're not going to read this bit, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Hebrews says to you today, don't throw away your confidence in Jesus. It will be richly rewarded. I wonder when you were last tempted to drift away from Jesus. It happens. Doubts come. Questions come. We can all be tempted. The writer wants you to know this. Jesus is enough. Trust Jesus. Just Jesus. Hence this series called Just Jesus. And here in chapter 10, the focus is on Jesus as the priest who mediates between us and God, which is just what the Old Testament priests had done for century after century. You see, prophets spoke God's word to the people and priests mediated for the people with God, largely through offering sacrifices to procure forgiveness for them. And that's the issue here in Hebrews 10 that we're just about to read, where we see Jesus, who is our perfect sacrifice and our perfect high priest. Let's read chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. It's quite a long passage, so stay with me. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, this is a quote from Psalm 40, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. 
This is from Jeremiah 31. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. That's a long and detailed passage, eh? But what's going on? is a bit of a contrast, compare and contrast. And in this passage, you've got the limitations of the Old Testament sacrificial system, which though we may not have been part of, are hugely relevant for us understanding the magnificence of what Jesus has done. And they are contrasted with the sufficiency of the sacrifice that Jesus has offered for us. So three limitations of the old priestly work are mentioned in verse 1. It was limited, firstly, because they were only ever intended to be a shadow, not the reality. They were only ever meant to be temporary, provisional, good, because God commanded it. God graciously gave this sacrificial system, but he never intended for it to be permanent. It was for a time. It was just a shadow. Now, a shadow can tell you a certain amount about something. This picture here, there's a shadow. And you can tell, you get a kind of idea of what's behind the shadow. Well, there's a, there's a plant on the left. There's probably a lady in a dress with a summer hat on. You can get a good amount of what's going on by a shadow, but a shadow is a limited version. It anticipates the real thing. You therefore want to see the real person and plant in the picture. It's limited. It was never meant to be the real thing. It was only ever a shadow. Secondly, the Old Testament system of sacrifices was a sh- Uh, was limited because they had to be endlessly repeated year after year. The author's probably thinking of the annual Day of Atonement, the big high point when they sacrificed and celebrated. But not only annually. You can kind of get by the terms that are being used, this is laborious. This is just going on and on. Not only is it year after year, but verse 11, day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices. The message is this. It doesn't matter what you sacrifice for your sins, more will always be needed. You are never really sorted under the old system. And thirdly, limited, because ultimately these sacrifices, this passage tells us, were unable to make perfect those who draw near to worship. That's why they had to be offered again and again, year after year, day after day, because they could never make perfect those who came to worship. It's a little bit like the COVID vaccination program. It's nothing like the COVID vaccination program. But those of us who've been for a jab and been for a second jab and then been for a booster, none of us are being told, don't worry any more about COVID. I remember, I remember in the news, it was like, well, every three months, you're probably going to need a booster. That's like, what? That's ridiculous, which I'm personally not up for every three months getting this stuff put into me. But anyway, the point is this. It can never endlessly, year after year, month after month, it can't really take away COVID. Or protect you from it. That's what's going on here in these sacrifices. 
but we've just said verse one, it was only ever meant to be a shadow. The good thing was coming. The reality was coming. The real thing, icona in the Greek language. We've seen that word before in Colossians chapter one. Jesus is the icon, the real substance of God. And he has come. It's possible also to interpret those Greek words in the following way. It's like the Old Testament system drew an outline. A bit like the shadow idea, but kind of drew an outline. You can see, okay, I get the kind of idea. But then with Jesus coming, it's all filled in and colored in. And you can see, oh, right, that's what it's meant to be. It was a shadow. It was like a faint outline. And now it's the reality. It's been colored in. In the sacrifices in the Old Testament, you can see a lot of God's graciousness. The fact that sin really matters. The fact that he's holy. When Jesus comes and offers his sacrifice, my goodness, he's filled in the meaning of all of that. How holy is God? So holy that his son has to die if we are to be made right with him. How serious is sin? So serious that the son of God himself has to come and die. How gracious is God? That gracious. How great a salvation is he working for us? So great as we see in this passage that it is done once and for all and forever. That's the reality. That's what Jesus came to do So the rest of this passage, then after looking at the limitations of the old system, then fills in and contrasts and tells us, and look how amazing, how extraordinary is the sacrifice that Jesus has offered. How amazing is his priestly work for us. Firstly, in in these three ways. Firstly, if the shadow... The old system was unwilling animals, obviously, being led to be sacrificed. The reality, so much more gloriously, is Jesus who willingly obeyed by offering himself. Verses 5 to 7. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. I have come to do your will, my God. He's quoting Psalm 40 as if to say, see, the Old Testament system was pointing forward to and prophesying about this Savior who would come. You see, sacrifices and offerings really ultimately mean nothing without heartfelt obedience. And although there's two things to that, one is the sheep, the goat, the bull could hardly be accused of heartfelt obedience. They were just dragged in, wondered what was going on, slaughtered. But also the people offered these sacrifices as a habit, really. And God was displeased with them, even though he'd commanded them. And in contrast, Jesus comes and completely, willingly submitting to the Trinity's plan of salvation. Think of him in Gethsemane. Think of him there. Father, if there's any other way, please may may you find it. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus comes willingly and offers himself. In contrast to the unwilling blood of bulls and goats, Jesus willingly sacrifices himself. And in so doing, he is finally a suitable substitute. 
Let's face it. Us human beings here today are precious creatures made in the image of God. Can a bull, an unthinking, dumb bull, really pay for John Ask? Well, no, no, can't. Is it really a suitable sacrifice? Is a sheep really a suitable sacrifice for Seth? How is Seth going to be righteous before God if it's a sheep that's been sacrificed? A, it's an unsuitable substitute, and B, it has no righteousness to offer. Jesus comes and willingly gives himself as a righteous substitute. That's why it's so important that Psalm 40, speaking about Jesus, says, a body you have prepared for me. Jesus had to live a human life. He had to suffer the death of a human being because only a human being can rightly pay for human beings. And only a fully righteous human being can give full righteousness to human beings. That's the wonder of the incarnation, that he comes to give himself fully as a human being. But he doesn't only do so willingly, as if contractually obliged, He does so remarkably because of love. He comes and gives himself willingly, not offering a different sacrifice, but offering himself, becoming priest and sacrifice in himself, all for love. How remarkable, how wonderful that the Son of God should do that for us love. Secondly, if the shadow was endless sacrifices day after day, year after year, again and again, the reality is Jesus once for all sacrifice. I am so glad I'm not a priest under the old covenant. What a messy, bloody business. (laughs) What a horrible business going on. Graciously provided by God, I know, but I am so glad that one sacrifice for all has been made. So should you be. It's the repeated message of this passage here, verse 10. The sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. Verse 14, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made perfect. In contrast, verse 1, to year after year. In contrast to verse 10, day after day and again and again. Jesus' sacrifice only needed to be offered once because it was perfect and because it was fully effective, there is no more that needs to be done. And, and, after his sacrifice, crucially, he sat down. You'll have noticed that phrase in another passage, Hebrews chapter 1, that we looked at uh, last time or the week before. Verses 11 to 13 say this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, Old Testament priests had to keep standing because as soon as they'd offered a sacrifice, it's, well, we've got more to do. 
They woke up the next day, they had to stand again, more sacrifices to do. Next year, another day of atonement, just reminding us that, yeah, we're sinners. Gracious provision, but a horrible reminder. And the next day, more sacrifices. The priests basically did their work standing up because their work was never finished. Jesus sits down because his work is finished. Hence, he cries on the cross, it is finished. What's finished on the cross? All sorts of things are finished on the cross. Here's one thing, absolutely. His high priestly work for us as the mediator between us and God is finished. Once and for all. But not only... See, it just gets, maybe if it just gets more and more glorious. Not only is this believed as a historical fact, which it is, his spirit testifies to us that this is the truth. So in verses 15 to 17, the author is quoting Jeremiah 31, this magnificent promise in Jeremiah that not only will he do this for us, but we will experience this and know it for ourselves. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds, their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. See, it's a new covenant with a new power and a new assurance of forgiveness that is mediated to us not by, did I offer today's sacrifice? Have I done enough? Maybe I can offer some more so that God will be more pleased with me, but mediated to us by the Holy Spirit within us who assures us that Jesus' sacrifice really has accomplished all that we ever needed. I love that. Don't you love that about the Christian life? That it's not just I believe this, I believe that, I believe that, though it is that. That it's not just Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended, Jesus will come back again, though it is all those things. But it's also this, it's in here. I know it in here. I know it in here. And I know it in here and in here because the Spirit lives in me and is convincing me of the truth of what I believe and of what historically happened. The old system, get this, The old system constantly reminded people they weren't right with God. Now his spirit constantly reminds us that we are. That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus, is to constantly remind you, you're mine. You're mine. You are adopted. You'll never be unadopted. I love you. I accept you. I'm never not going to accept you. I'm never going to stop loving you. You'll always be mine. You'll be with me forever. I chose you before the foundation of the world and you'll be with me into the new heavens and the new earth. You cannot be lost. For the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus has done enough for us. Conclusion, verse 18 And where these sins have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, you see, all of this, this passage goes on to say, all of which means there are three things we should do, though we'll look at just one of them. 
See, the passage doesn't stop where we stopped. It goes on like this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the very presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us do this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 22 In a couple of minutes, I'm going to encourage us to do this as we worship. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Do you ever struggle to have full assurance? I think every Christian does. I think every Christian. Do you not have moments? No? All right, I have moments. Anybody else have moments? We have moments, right? It's okay to say that. We have moments, varying degrees of moments. But I've known some people in the past who don't just have small moments, but who have a constant and tormenting challenge. I wonder if this is true of you. It's like a kind of quiet background, or it could be a very loud voice that accuses, that lies that causes doubts, that says to you in the back of your mind, remember when you did that? (laughs) See, God can't love you. A little voice in the back that says, let me remind you of what you've done, what you didn't do. What if you're not good enough? Does that nagging doubt go around your mind sometimes? You can't possibly be good enough. Call yourself a Christian to which our human tendency is almost always to look the wrong way. It's to look inward, to try and do enough, to try and find some good, to outweigh the bad, to ensure that we can make ourselves feel good enough for God. And in so doing, we become or try to become our own priest trying to mediate between ourselves and God, offering our own sacrifices. God, I'll do this. God, I'll do that. I'll never do that again. All of which, you may have tried this, fails miserably and ultimately just leads to further accusation, lies and doubts. Or people can do this, particularly in some cultures. You add to Jesus the merits of Mary. Or you add to Jesus worshipping your ancestors because they might be able to do some good for you in the afterlife. Or you add to Jesus witch doctors who might have some power as well and be able to work things for you. In each case, they become our priest, relying on their sacrifices or goodness. But verse 19 says this, don't look within to be your own priest Don't look to anyone else for them to be your priest. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, who is a great priest over the house of God. He's the only one able to mediate and make peace between God and man. Jesus is enough. Trust Jesus. Just Jesus.
Let me finish by going back to my heart scan. The consultants, having looked at the images that the nurses had taken, wrote me a letter. Further to my letter, dated 8th of December 2021, when he sent me for it, this gentleman has now had an echocardiogram, and this is entirely normal. I am entirely normal. (laughs) Or at least one little part of me. There is no vascular disease to account for the murmur, which I've always had. This is reassuring, and I have discharged him back to your care. What am I going to do next time my heart wonders, is it good enough? Do you know what I'm going to do? I've got more than my feelings to go on. I've got a letter of confirmation that my heart is normal. And let me tell you that next time your heart doubts your assurance before God, leave your feelings to the side and go on three things. God's Word says that Christ's sacrifice is enough. The Son has come and offered himself the perfect righteous sacrifice and his Spirit testifies to us inside that we are right with him. Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, I would like you to practice that sometime. When it next hits you, you think, can I be good enough? Can God love me? Leave your feelings and go to something certain like I'm doing with my heart scan. Because Jesus, the great high priest, has offered a sacrifice that paid for your sins and makes you righteous and means the way is always open for you to be in the very holy of holies, the presence of God. He is a very, very great saviour. Let's stand. Now, I'd like you to worship with full assurance. Do you hear that? With full assurance. I trust that will put a smile on your face and peace in your heart.